Hello and welcome to this podcast on health inequalities. My name is Oluwashio Aniam, Sean for short. I am an ST6 trainee in diabetes and endocrinology, a research fellow studying towards a PhD degree and a regional representative for the RCP Trainees Committee. Now, I am incredibly privileged to be joined by Carol Brain, CBE, who is a professor of public health medicine at the University of Cambridge, co-chair of Cambridge Public Health, and Chair of the Faculty of Public Health, Academic and Research Committee. Hello, Carol. Hello, Sean. Uh, also a great privilege to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you very much for agreeing to join me in today's podcast. Say, I am incredibly honoured um, and I'm really looking forward to utilising your vast level of experience to unspick some aspects of this very complicated issue. Um, I also want to welcome all our listeners whether you're listening to us on your headphones during your daily commute or putting us on whilst waiting for your dinner, very grateful for your attention. So, as with all good podcasts, I think it is important to briefly discuss why this is such a relevant topic for today. Now, you may be aware that the updated Marmot report on health inequalities in the UK was published back in February earlier this year. Understandably, we've all become slightly preoccupied with other important health issues, which has somewhat taken the focus of this report. However, health inequalities still remains a huge topic in our country, even in the context of COVID-19, with differential outcomes seen among patients suffering from the disease, which has sadly been brought into sharp focus with reports of different mortality rates amongst various ethnic groups. Now, if you haven't read the updated Marmot report, I would urge you to read at least section two, as it makes for some very stark reading. One particular statistic that jumped out at me was the differences in life expectancy of men in the most deprived areas of the country compared to those in the most affluent areas. There is a 9.5 year gap between them and the gap for women is 7.7 years. That means if you are a man that lives in a deprived area, you can expect to live nearly a whole decade less than someone from an affluent area. When comparing the most deprived areas in London to the most deprived areas in the Northeast, those in the Northeast still have around a five-year lower life expectancy than those in the South. We've all heard of the North-South divide. These data suggest this isn't just rhetoric. It actually exists in healthcare. And this issue doesn't just stop with life expectancy. People in the most deprived areas of our country can also expect to live 15 less healthy years than people in the most affluent. So not only do they live less years, they also spend more of those fewer years unhealthy. And perhaps the most staggering statistic of all, these statistics have worsened since 2010. Just going to say that again. These stats are worse now in 2020 than they were in 2010. And these inequalities don't just exist among the socioeconomic continuum. Other reports highlight differences amongst ethnic groups, with those from ethnic minorities being more likely to die in hospital, for example. We all know about the horrendous statistics regarding COVID-19. So black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth. In 2020, black people are even 50% less likely to receive analgesia when they're in hospital. The Marmot's report focuses mainly on the potential influence of government policy in these statistics, and that is very important to consider. But we want to ask, what can we as healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, AHPs, what can we do to improve these statistics? And that's this podcast is about. Hopefully, 
This will be the first of a series looking at the topic of health inequalities from a number of different angles. So, now that I have your attention, before we delve into the real meat of the issue, I'd first like to ask Carol to tell us what got you so interested in the topic of health inequalities? So, to some extent, I've been interested in it since I was a teenager um, through um, an interest in environmental concerns. And I'm talking about a long time ago, like in the 1970s. And it was very apparent then that there, there was a really good frankly, grotesque inequality across the world in the way that we manage our societies. And also, um, we were hurtling towards a, a, a future in which we were degrading our environment um, in differential ways across the world and within countries. But then I got distracted into um, doing medicine. And through that, I um, uh, trained in general medicine. And it was really when I was working at the Royal Northern, which um, you know, is, uh, the reorganisation of the NHS means that that isn't anymore uh, a local hospital in the way that it was then. Uh, but doing my house jobs, I saw so much preventable uh, disease in, in that early stage of um, medical training. And that drew me into epidemiology and um, then later uh, public health. And that preventability is clearly very uh, socially determined. And so naturally, across the course of my career, um, it's uh, brought me more and more towards the concern that we are in medicine so often pulling people out of the water and not paying attention to people being thrown into the water upstream. And that's very much a public health uh, approach in terms of prevention. So I think that in reasonably briefly is uh, how I came to to um, to really feel that inequalities was absolutely something vital. I'm sure you've you know you would have reflected upon these um, sober statistics mentioned in the in the updated Marmot report and in the, the original one back in 2010. Um, do you have any particular thoughts of your own um, that you would like to share about the reports? Um, well, yes, I think it's it's the sort of systemic approach that we need to take to try to understand how inequalities are um, are endemic in our society and how we then address them. And it, in whatever way, whether it be through legislation or through regional action or through local action, or and, and vital in this is, is clearly co-production from the individual right up to the nation. And we've seen that hugely um, illustrated during the COVID epidemic. Mm, yeah. Um, even before the COVID epidemic, life expectancy for women was going down and uh, life expectancy in general has stalled. Now that may not be a bad thing if that the life that we're living is the um, healthy life expectancy is increasing within that life expectancy because we've had such large increases and if we can reduce the inequalities but we would increase increase our life expectancy as you um, highlighted uh, just simply by reducing inequalities we would reduce dementia for example in my own field and we would um, uh, we would increase life expectancy just simply by bringing up the life expectancy and the healthy life expectancy of those most disadvantaged. There is a, a particular illustration that I can give from my own research uh, and that of the um, large collaboration of the cognitive function and aging studies, which is that dementia 
prevalence, uh, that is the proportion of people with dementia in any given population, is has gone down um, in recent de decades across generations by around, uh, over 20%. Wow. Um, yeah, if you correct it for age, so it's age for age. Mm. Um, but because the aging of the population, it isn't less common, as it were. Uh, however, that gain has not been seen in those um, in the in area in geographical areas with the most disadvantage. So we have a long way to go. As I mentioned earlier, um, we are looking at what we as healthcare professionals can do to help improve health inequalities that exist uh, in our country. Um, so I'd like to start by telling you all a story. The story is about a young boy and his father who were on their way to school. Unfortunately and tragically, they were both involved in a major car accident. And sadly, the father died at the scene. The young boy was rushed into hospital and with such severe injuries, he was taken directly into theater for surgery. But once the surgeon arrived, upon revealing the identity of the child, the surgeon stepped away, frantically saying, stop, stop, sorry, I can't operate on this boy, he's my son. I want you to think about your initial reaction to that story. If your mind did not immediately think, or clearly, the surgeon was the boy's mother, don't worry, because in fact it's reported that around 50% of people will conjure up much more complicated theories of how the boy might have had two fathers or might have been adopted or so and so and so before realizing the more obvious answer. When I first heard the story, I reasonably quickly figured out the surgeon was a mother and I was rather impressed with myself, to be honest. But when I reflected upon my thoughts and was completely honest, I realized that's that wasn't actually my first thought. Now, this story is quite well known and helps to reveal the unconscious bias that exists within all of our minds. In this case, the expectation that a surgeon should be a man. Um, and that's what this podcast is going to focus specifically on, uh, unconscious bias and how that can influence our actions and actually contribute towards the propagation of health inequalities. So, Carol, we previously discussed uh, the story of the surgeon's dilemma at length. Um, how important do you think unconscious biases to the discussion around health inequalities, um, especially in relation to how us as healthcare professionals contribute to these inequalities? I feel that um, that this is a, a very this is a very complicated area, and yeah. that the in the way that we are trained and the way that we have lived our lives clearly brings us with a certain sets of a certain set of unconscious biases um, and we can't uh, know what another person's unconscious set of unconscious biases are we could we know, we might know in terms of the loose grouping uh, to which we we might associate ourselves with um, that there are in those in those groupings or explicit or unconscious biases but we won't be aware of all of them and that certainly in the unconscious bias trainings that I've done it's really trying to understand how um, how we are reacting to stories such as the one that you uh, provided and uh, there are of course uh, um, other entertaining ones as well but it, 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 they are really interesting because even when you think you haven't you aren't 
biased that um, recognizing those thought processes when you hear that story uh, helps you to um, to to really surface um, what everybody has. I mean, we all have, um, and I think it's it, it, it is to some extent. Well, it, well, it is normal to have bias because we have to organize society in ways that is manageable, and um, quick reactions have to be made. So there are so, but there are some things where. Uh, maybe that wouldn't be called bias, but there are some things which are useful and constructive, and there are other things which are unhelpful and obstructive. Yeah. And I think we haven't really, um, it's, it's quite difficult to work out in which category different types of reactions come or can be. Um, so I think in terms of the clinician, um, we could think about it in terms of the data that they have available to them. There are, you know, if we could just think about different different approaches. So the clinician has that what they bring from their own experience that I just described, mm. but they also have a um, an environment in which they uh, in which they we see patients. Um, so that might be the home setting. It might be <clears throat> it might be primary care. It might be a hospital setting. And then for the RCP, it'll be very predominantly, I, I expect, hospital settings, which themselves kind of have, have been built in um, a in a context for a purpose. Mm. And it, even those things can perpetuate uh, the sort of uh, uh, biases or which make it difficult for diff for different people who haven't are completely used to that setting, as it were, to navigate. So it, it kind of it's not just the clinician, it's the environment in which the clinician operates and also the team with which the clinician is working. So each of the people that we have in teams uh, will be bringing um, all of that to them to them as well. And we I think in order to understand how we operate, we need to kind of just be aware. It could be overwhelming to think about all of these things, but I think it can be done in a in, in a lighter way um, that is constructive. Um, and certainly the unconscious, unconscious bias training approach, I think, is a relatively, you know, it's something which is constructive and looking forward. And include inclusive, but but it's clearly not reaching. It's, it's probably not reached all that many people as yet. Although I think yeah. training is improving all the time. The other area that I wanted to just touch on in this section, as it were, was um, the evidence, the bias of the evidence base. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it's become so through my. Career, as I think I, you know, we've talked about before. We we try to 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 raise finance to do studies of dementia, population-based studies of dementia in um, in our ethnic minorities um, in in areas where there would be enough older people to actually say something useful and helpful. We hoped. And we were unable to raise the money. So that's just a short illustration of just how difficult it is yeah. to generate the right evidence. And if you're a clinician and you have somebody of a different, um, of a, well, of a, of a minority ethnic community in front of you, of a particular age, say a 70-year-old, um, you know that the evidence has not been generated mm -hmm. for that person. So when you're advising people to take medications or, and often multiple medications we don't really know our evidence base is not as robust as it should be i feel and i think that's that's an imbalance in the research investment to support clinical work so i think yeah. there's a 
a really important role for clinicians to um, lobby and make make transparent the fact that we don't have sufficient evidence base to address these issues um, so that our, bi our, our evidence base is itself biased. Mm. Something that uh, came up to my mind as well, just as you were talking, is um, are there any um, different types of unconscious bias that then uh, can influence the way, influence even the way we interact with our patients and ultimately how we treat them? Yes, uh, as, you know, as I was sort of outlining earlier, I think that there are lots of different types of bias that we can hold. And you illustrated the gender, uh, the gender bias, and um, language is. So when you were saying uh, when you were saying that listeners might listen to the podcast um, while waiting for their dinner, I immediately thought, well, I'd be making the dinner. You know, or, or, <laughs> is that male or female yeah. bias? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> so it's a really interesting one because uh, um, obviously different households have very different patterns. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, uh, but that could be seen as itself, um, mm. sort of assuming yeah. that assuming that the um, the person listening to the podcast is a male and that mm. the the person making the dinner is a female, and uh, then of course the uh, the um, fantastically important area of ethnicity mm. and um, social inequality and how those interact as well, and those are very diff. I mean, those are those are um, we try to cor correct one for the other or the other, you know, well, and or vice versa when we're trying to understand about why there might be so much increased mortality in certain groups or um, morbidity but in fact what, what we're doing is 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 correcting out something incredibly important so the very important thing is to say well in combination this is what happens yes if you have people who have had disadvantaged lives whatever their ethnicity there are um, um, major major health outcomes, and the way in which those people interact with the health systems will have bias in it. Um, and to try to untangle um, that as a generic thing, and then, um, but also to say there is overrepresentation in the disadvantaged groups of people. Uh, of ethnic minorities, and also I think it's very important to recognise, and there's such a richness, there's such a diversity of origins, and to assume that you have one culture or one um, one group on the basis of a label, I think, mm -hmm. is unhelpful, mm, um, particularly for cl clinicians when dealing, uh, you know, when when trying to create relationships with with individual patients and their their own families. As you said earlier, or you alluded to, biases are, are quite almost necessary for us to be able to navigate through life. Um, I was reading something that where they mentioned that it's almost important for survival because there is so much information to take on a daily basis. When you walk into a room, you've got to you've got to form preconceptions of everything that's in the room, even without making a detailed assessment of each one. Um, just so that you can focus on the thing you're, you're in the room, uh, the, the, the task that you have to do. Um, and so I think we just can't uh, completely eliminate all of our biases. But what we can do is be aware of them, uh, like you said earlier, and, and ensure that they don't cloud our judgment when dealing with, you know, patients or, I mean, it's not just patients. I mean, it's, you know, other colleagues as well. You know, we have stats about differential attainment amongst ethnic groups or 
people from uh, different backgrounds within training. Um, so, for example, the MRCP exam and post postgraduate um, qual uh, examinations. So it affects us all in all different walks of life. Um, and then it's about, I guess it's about trying to, as I said, awareness and, and um, making sure they don't cover us. I mean, I know I've certainly become more aware of, um, of, of conscious biases now in, in my practice. Um, do, you, do you have any advice for our listeners um, about how they can make themselves uh, more aware of their own unconscious biases or any specific practical tips on what we can all do um, to, to, to improve our knowledge of these things? Well, I suppose for trainees, the, the the first thing is to to take take up any opportunities for um, for training in unconscious bias because it does gives you it gives you um, practical uh, ways of talking about um, unconscious bias and, and basically sur surfacing any that you might ha that, that that you have in relation to uh, patients or your or, or colleagues or society in general and it isn't and it's it um, as, we haven't um, the the area that we haven't highlighted is um, within the indigenous British population. This sort of social class angle, particularly, but that's also clearly very much there as well. Um, uh, and the legacy, the legacies of earlier uh, earlier um, history, as it were. Um, so I think it's it, it, that's very helpful. And for those colleagues who are um, struggling as it were at consultant level and and in other in other roles uh to, to carve out time perhaps to do that and even the online courses i think are worse because they give the stories like the ones that you do and which take you back you take, you take a deep breath um uh and the, the one for me was the pilot which i you know i thought afterwards i thought this is ridiculous i mean of course i know female pilots and, uh, not, not as many of them i think it's very important Really, and, and I've tried to practice this, isn't it? Because I've, um, I've, I've mentored many um, students and academics over the years, and um, served people working in public health service as well as, as well as clinicians who've got who've for, uh, pursued epidemiology in public health and then gone back into <clears throat> mainstream um, practice. Um, that that basically you need to see the person. It's uh, mm. person-centered care, but all person-centered approaches that when you are aware that you might have biases, you can see them for what they are and mm. set them aside and see the person. I mean, I think your point about seeing the person is such a strong one and so important. I mean, that, that reminds me of a situation I was in where I was in A&E um, and uh, I had been handed over a, a patient who was a black man who um, who apparently opiate seeking and you know you do we do get these kind of patients a lot in A&E and I kind of went to see him now when I fully assessed the patient he actually had an incarcerated hernia which is incredibly painful mm -hmm. um, and the, the fact that he had been um, uh, labeled as opiate seeking I mean he was using colorful language so don't get me wrong I can I can understand but it is a common cliche this kind of a uh, black person, a black man, you know, coming in um, looking for opiates is it's, it's, it's quite well known. Um, and I just, I, you know, I think that in that situation, the person hadn't been seen, that it just the cliche had been seen instead.
I, I couldn't agree more with uh, with that. And um, you've raised um, mental health is another area mm. where there is a lot of bias um, that pe people experience, and um, the health outcomes, the general health outcomes, and life expectancy for people with mental health. Uh, who've been in contact with mental health services with particular diagnoses is much shorter. is It's it's dramatically shorter mm. than uh, those who don't experience don't have such experiences. And so I think you know it's, it's and there are so many individuals in our societies who have all of those things. You might have a mental health problem. You might have addiction. Mm. Um, you might have um, contact with the criminal justice system. Uh, and you might have, um, you might be from another, from a, a non, non, uh, uh, from an ethnic minority, um, and uh, or be of mixed ethnicity, which I think is a group. It, you know, it's not a group; it's a really diverse um, and rich uh, uh, heritage that we have in this country, which is absolutely fabulous. But I think that you know, that often out in the cold to make people of mixed heritage. Um, yes, yeah. so, so if you had all of those things, you, you're at a terrible disadvantage. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can only navigate that as a clinician with your patient by uh, by working, by seeing them as a person and um, sort of co-producing your relationship. You've mentioned about mental health, and I think that is um, that's something that just, it's reminded me, linking back to what you're talking about, interacting factors. Um, and rather than controlling for those factors, you know, you've got to recognize that they both, they, they work, some factors work together, because we know that mental health um, problems are massively increased in prevalence in people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, from um, ethnic minority groups, and even, you know, people within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and it's, you, when you try to control the, that factor out, actually you're doing them a disservice because they all interact and add to the biases that exist either individually or system, systemically. Do you agree? I, I do agree. And, and from, from a, a, a research perspective, what I really, really hope, I think the, uh, we as a society are, are beginning to, beginning to recognise this more, mm. that picking off a condition like depression or, or heart disease or uh, whatever it might be, um, is uh, not actually, as you as you've outlined so clearly, not the way that it that it, that it happens in society, and so we need research that is um, appropriate to society. Even even just simply measuring it, measuring the challenges and measuring the problems in communities and what the community wants and sees as the way to help support um, better health and well-being. And do you, do you have uh, any sort of other resources that you could recommend recommend for our listeners um, who want to explore the topic of unconscious bias or even health inequalities as a whole a bit more in their spare time? Uh, well, for, on the health inequalities, I think probably the best place to look for any emerging evidence is um, to keep an eye on our RCP health inequalities uh, advisory group outputs. But um, to, in particular, the Health Foundation are doing a lot of work on this and including looking at uh, COVID 
related inequalities. So, so we kind of watch the space on the Health Foundation, and the reports are usually pretty readable. Uh, and uh, keep an eye on what um, Michael Marmot's Institute is doing. So that's on the inequalities. On the unconscious, unconscious bias, I think it's really look at what's available to you locally and also from the, from the college, and use it. Uh, you use it in a in, in a thoughtful way. So basically, think about how it's going to um, give it that reflective time to make it worthwhile. Great. Um, I mean, I I sort of as uh, preparing for this, I came across something that's actually published by the Royal College of Surgeons, <laughs> um, uh, but it's a guide to avoiding unconscious bias. And there's a few quite useful practical tips in that. Um, that's uh, you know, people can use to kind of make them help themselves become more aware and also utilize in their daily practice. Um, so that's something that is a, um, a potential option as well. Um, so I think this has been um, a very, very intriguing discussion. Um, I have to say, I'm still a bit starstruck about having the opportunity to discuss this topic with someone that has, uh, that has a vast amount of experience and knowledge of this topic that, that you have. Um, Thank you so, so much, Carol, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me on this podcast. Sean, it's been a real pleasure to have a conversation with you, and it's been my great privilege uh, to lead off on what we hope will be a series of podcasts on these topics, um, and I hope we can pick up more on the practical ways to, to help people, uh, help ourselves as clinicians um, in the future. And... A big thank you to all of you that have taken your time to listen to this podcast. Um, please look out for more podcasts on this topic. Um, also, please do have a look at some of the resources that have been suggested. Um, you know, try to be more aware of your own unconscious biases in your daily practice um, and enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>